Now, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, and we're going to dig into this passage that was read for us this morning, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verses 22, and we'll work our way through verse 23. Uh, we've been talking about the importance of character. Character is what we are at the very core of our being. And if you've been with us in this series a couple of weeks ago, uh, we pointed out that character has to do with who we are at the very core of our being. And it's our character that God wants to mold and shape so that we can begin to use our gifts and the talents that God has given us to advance his kingdom. I've discovered that in today's uh, high-tech, high-touch world that this technology revolution sometimes gets in the way of building meaningful interpersonal relationships. Uh, we are so tied to this little machine that we hold in our hands or we find in our pockets that unless there's a buzz or a vibration or a ring, uh, we feel we've missed out on something. In fact, I've discovered today that there's a button for just about anything. In fact, we live in a world that is totally digital, and it's all about gadgets and gizmos and mouses. I mean, you have to have all these things at your fingertips. I mean, there's an app for everything. There's an app to start your car, to turn the car off, to set the temperature in your house, to set the air conditioning. There's an app for that to open the garage door, to close the garage door, to secure your house, open up your house. There's an app for, there's all, we're always pushing. It's amazing how many buttons we're pushing. And in the whole process, nothing wrong with it, but in the process, many of us are missing the relational qualities that I believe people long for today. I think our technological breakthroughs and all these wonderful things that were supposedly uh, to give us more free time and to do all these incredible things for us, they've almost become an albatross around our necks. It's interesting that Douglas Phillips and John Naisbet in their book, High Tech, High Touch, say that America has been transformed from a technological comfort zone into a technological intoxicated zone. We are living more in a virtual world than we are living in a world of reality. And it's not going to get any better. In fact, it's going to continue to increase with speed. And that's why we as the family of God, I believe, have unique opportunities to meet the deepest needs that people have. Because when you get below the surface... Every single person is in need of a warm hug, a handshake, someone who has skin on that they can begin to share their hearts with. This is where Celebrate Recovery and our life groups, all of these opportunities that God has given to us, it's so necessary if we're going to become well-grounded, solid Christ followers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need that. We do, may not recognize it, but there's not a person here who does not need someone, a group of people to come around them, to encourage them and to lift them up uh, and to take them out for a cup of coffee and to build a relationship with them. 
Those kind of things don't happen overnight. You have to nurture relationships. You have to cultivate them. And that's what building authentic character is really all about. And when we're in step with the Holy Spirit, and when we're in step with what He's doing in our lives, we not only understand the character of God better, but we also learn how to relate to each other in a more meaningful and relevant way. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at our character in relationship to God. We looked at that first cluster of fruit. Notice, love, joy, and peace. And we discovered that when we're in step with the Holy Spirit, our love for God is fresh. We are falling more and more and more in love with Jesus. We are experiencing His presence. Our love for Him is fresh. It is vibrant. It's not static. It is ever increasing. Not only is our love for God uh, fresh, but our joy will be full. Our joy is something that the Holy Spirit produces within us. And joy is a leap beyond happiness. Too many in our world settle for happiness but as the people of God, not only is this love that we have for God fresh and real, but there is a joy that is full, and that leads to a peace that is fantastic. And this is something that the world is craving for over and over again. They're craving for a sense of peace, to experience the presence of that prince who has come to bring peace into our lives. And, and peace is part of that character of God that enables us to excel in every dimension of our lives. Now, as we continue to study the fruit of the Spirit, we want to move on to that second cluster of fruit. And that second cluster of fruit has to do with our character and relationship to others. The first cluster those first three, love, joy, peace, have to do with our character in relation to God. Now we want to look at our character in relationship to each other. And this is where these next three qualities come into play. The first one is patience. Oh, why in the world does Paul bring that up again? He's always encouraging us to be patient, and yet this is one of the fruit that God wants to accomplish in our lives. Now, let me give you the meaning of the word patience. The word patience literally means steadfastness of soul under provocation. It means that we endure with wrongs and exasperating conduct without anger and without taking matters into our own hands. Now, let's be honest this morning. Patience is something with which we all struggle with, and I struggle with it tremendously. I, I, I'm kind of an impatient person. I like to see things happen. If things just kind of, you know, maintain themselves, drives me up a wall. Just ask the staff. You can hear. Uh, we always want to see things moving. And, you know, uh, I, I want to see God do incredible things in this place. And sometimes I get a little impatient with the process because I'd like to move things along a little bit quicker. But all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we hate to wait. 
who don't handle delays and long lines and misplaced keys and noisy neighbors and late planes and untrained pets and cold food and stuck zippers very well. We just don't handle stuff like that. I mean, those kind of things just drive us up the wall. And so Paul says, hey, just chill. (laughs) I want you to develop this, this character trait of patience that does not come easy, but it only comes as we allow the Holy Spirit to continue to chip away at those areas in our lives with which we struggle so that we can become more and more like him. When things are not happening fast enough, we need to learn the secret of slowing down and being patient. The best way to do this is to just take time when you're in the midst of all kinds of things that are up in the air and you want to get them solved and you can't get to it quickly, is to just take, out, take a time out and spend some time alone with God. I find out one of the things that God's teaching me more and more is to take moments of silence when I just am focused upon him. Maybe while I'm in the car, maybe while I'm in my office, and maybe when I'm walking, going someplace. Just take a few moments and just focus on God. And understand that God is a patient God. It's very interesting that the Apostle Peter reminds us that when Noah was building the ark, God waited patiently for him to complete the ark. He didn't look over Noah's shoulder and say, hey, you need to do this a little bit quicker. You need to fix this. What's what's the matter with you, Noah? You're falling behind schedule. No, no, no. God was very patient. He didn't get on Noah's back when he didn't accomplish as much as he wanted to simply because the task maybe was a little bit more difficult than he had anticipated or he just wasn't up to that on that particular day. God didn't set some unrealistic deadline for Noah to complete the project. God was patient with him. And when we think about patience, God is our model. He is the one that we need to look to, and he is the source from which we can develop a patient spirit. Now, if God is patient with us, and he is, we need to cultivate patience in our relationships with others. And the best test of the authenticity of our faith is not when we're cloistered away at some prayer retreat or enjoying a worship celebration at church or having a quiet time alone with God. The test that reveals our character, what we're really all about, is how we react to those long lines at the grocery store. Now, what happens when somebody cuts in front of us on Front Street, just about runs us off the road? What happens when our restaurant reservation has been lost and we're informed that there's now a two-hour wait? What happens when the kids hand us a report card that they're not too proud of? How do we respond to a fellow employee who keeps making the same mistakes over and over again, and add stress to our jobs. You see, the quality that tells volumes about our spiritual life is how we handle delays, 
disappointments, unexpected setbacks, and unjustified criticism. You see, this matter of patience oftentimes gets the best of us in the small matters. Paul talks to the Christians at Ephesus, and in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. <clears throat> I'm convinced <coughs> excuse me, that Satan gets the best of us, not so much with the big issues of life, but with the small battles. He hammers away at the little irritations and he delights to attack us with frustrations that oftentimes force us to act out of character. And it reminds me of the story about the, the uh, Texas pastor who was commissioned to give a, a speech at a conference. And uh, the day didn't start out really well for him. Uh, the alarm clock didn't go off. And uh, so he was already running late. Alarm clock didn't go off. And, and then he was in such a hurry to, to get shaved and everything, he cut himself. And so he had to, you know, get that all fixed. And then he went to put on his shirt, and he found it wasn't ironed, and he needed to iron it. And finally got on his tie, and he went to the garage to get into his car, and he found that the front tire was flat on his car. And so that really ticked him off. And so he hurried up to get that all fixed. Finally, he's on his way. And, of course, he's trying to rush to this appointment. And, you know, he, he just, he, he missed a stop sign. He missed a stop sign. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He missed a stop sign. And sure enough, there happened just to be a police officer that observed that. And so, of course, you know, the bubble gum came after him. Woo, 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 woo. Pulled him over, and pastor got out of his car, and he said, go ahead and write me a ticket. Go ahead and do it. Everything else has gone wrong today. And then the police officer, he noticed he had a clergy sticker in his back window. That's what he said. He said, well, sir, I too have had days like that before I became a Christian. <clears throat> you see, it's, it's, the, it's the little irritations that cause us to act out of character. It happens to all of us. Has it ever not happened to you? It's those little things. And you see, Satan knows our weakness, and he always turns up the heat, not where we're strong, but where we're weak. And that's why I believe Paul is encouraging us here in this particular passage to make sure that we cultivate this character trait of patience. Oh man, it can happen to us when we least expect it. I remember a number of years ago, we were in the middle of a, a building project at our church in Fort Wayne. And I just spent... 14 hours doing all kinds of stuff. And I thought it was pitch dark at night. And I thought, I I'm just going to go out into the parking lot and see what kind of progress is being made on the building. Well, 
It was a driving rainstorm. I mean, it was, it was raining like crazy. And unfortunately, it was slippery. And so when I finally got out to where I wanted to see what had happened with the construction, I put my foot on the brakes and I slid right off the pavement and into the mud. And I got stuck. Oh my. I couldn't get out. I spun my wheels. I did everything. Finally, I had to get out and ask for help. And when I got out of the car, I was in ankle-deep mud. You would have loved to see me at that moment. Oh, my. That was not a happy time. All of us have these experiences. And it's those little things that oftentimes the enemy uses to get us off track and we explode and we act out of character and we end up saying things oftentimes, doing things we wish we never would have happened. And so patience is one of the most important qualities that we can cultivate. And the way to do develop patience is to just stop and pray. I think of that old hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. When you're in the midst of an impatient moment, most important thing we can do is just stop and pray. Okay, calm me down, Lord. (laughs) This isn't worth it. It isn't worth going to the wall or something this minor. Give me the patience that I need. Number two, he wants us also to develop this quality of kindness. It's another one of the fruit of the Spirit in relationship to how we respond to others. Now, kindness is not the natural way of responding to people who are difficult to live with or people who disagree with us and again many times we have become unkind to those who are unkind to us very few of us have developed our characters to the point where our immediate response is kindness to a person that shows us anything but kindness but again our model here is the Lord Jesus Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 35 and 36, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Look at the text, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, be kind, just as your Father is merciful and kind. You see, we are not kind to others because others are kind to us. We are kind to others because we have received the very nature of God when by faith we trusted Him. Do we understand this? We have received the very divine nature of our Heavenly Father. He dwells within us. And we are kind, we are patient, not because it's easy, but because that's what God 
has called us to be as transformed individuals. And here again, all of us are people in process. I don't believe we'll ever get all of this under our belts. But what Paul is saying is, I want to encourage you to develop these traits, and I want you to model the Lord Jesus. Don't give in to those human tendencies that were characteristic of your life before you were changed and transformed by the power of God. You see, when we receive Christ, he makes us brand new from the inside out. What's more, he gives us the capacity, listen to me, he gives us the capacity to reflect that new life. We can't do it in ourselves. (laughs) When we try, we fail. But when we are trusting him for to give kindness to those that are unkind to us, to, to reach out to those that, that ignore us. We do it not because it's easy or because that's our natural inclination. We do it because we understand we have been bought with a price. Jesus laid down his life to transform us, and we seek to emulate the one who gave his all for us. It's very interesting to observe that the very same word translated kindness here in Galatians 5 and verse 22 is translated easy in Matthew 11.30 where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You could translate it this way. My yoke is kind and my burden is light. In fact, in the previous verses, Jesus invites us to come to him just as we are, and he promises to give us rest. And he explains that if we get close enough to Jesus and we come under his yoke, he will give us his peace. And when we're under the yoke of Jesus and we've experienced his kindness, we don't live with a chip on our shoulder. We don't have hidden agendas. We're not easily set off. We don't have any axes to grind. We're not on the outs with anyone. We've experienced this connection, this yoke of kindness. Just think about that. If we're going to experience rest and peace in our relationships, then that yoke of kindness must be something that we carry with joy and gratitude. When we're yoked to Christ, tenderness, compassion, and forgiveness will not be far behind. Ephesians 4.32 puts it this way, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Kindness, more than anything else, is that relational quality that reflects God's love. Don't you love to be around a kind person? A person that's gentle, doesn't have a chip on his shoulder or her shoulder, isn't always looking for flaws in others, isn't trying to figure out why someone does something that they can't understand. Don't you love to be around a kind person? 
kindness can accomplish more than anything else in our relationships with difficult people. Let me give you an example of this. William McKinley was the 25th president of the United States. During one of his congressional campaigns, he was followed persistently by a reporter who disagreed with everything he said. And this reporter followed around McKinley wherever he went and would constantly seek to contradict everything that he said. McKinley, instead of responding with anger or with unkind words, he just continued to share his message, even though the reporter continued his unfair criticism of the president. One day, the weather was so bad that McKinley was in his closed carriage and it was raining, but this reporter was outside the carriage. He didn't have a coat on because he couldn't afford a coat. He was just being pummeled by the rain. And so McKinley had the carriage stop and he opened the door and he said to this reporter, come on in and join me. Come in, sit, sit next to me. And the reporter said, you know who I am? Hmm. I'm the guy that's writing all this bad stuff about you, and, and I'm doing everything I can to defeat what you're trying to accomplish. Come on in, he said. Get out of the rain. And so the reporter got in, and they had quite a conversation together. But he showed kindness. Later on, that reporter continued to cover the campaign but he never said anything derogatory again about McKinley. There is something about kindness that wins the day. Then lastly, it's the quality of goodness. Patience, kindness, goodness. What is goodness? It is really benevolence in the purest sense of the word. It includes hospitality. And it comes from an unselfish heart that is more interested in giving than receiving. A good person is not looking to receive. He's always looking to give. He wants to be a life giver. He doesn't want to be a life taker. There are many that take the life out of us. But a good person he gives life. There is something about that person. It is active goodwill. It is love in action. And again, the source of all goodness is God himself. Psalm 145, 9, 15, and 16. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion in all he has made. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food. At the proper time, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The psalmist is extolling the goodness of God. You realize it is God's goodness that controls everything that we experience in life. Every meal, every pleasure, every possession we enjoy comes from the good hand of our God. Every breath, just stop and think of it. We're not guaranteed when we breathe out, 
another breath. Every breath, everything that we have comes from this good God who loves us. Every traveling mercy, every daily protection and provision, every restful night's sleep is a gift of God's goodness. When you wake up in the morning, you wake up because of the goodness of God. He's taken care of you. He's looked after you all through the evening. No wonder the psalmist exclaims in Psalm 34 and verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And again in Psalm 34, 10, Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Hallelujah! Oh, that was weak. Everything that we have has come from the good hand of our God. We take it all for granted. We do. And yet, the apostle wants us to be reminded that this goodness of God is to be cultivated in our lives so that we can be messengers of goodness to those all around us. None of us are equipped to do good apart from our connection with God. And the only way that we can be connected to God is by putting our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, today there are great philanthropists have no connection with God. They do great acts of philanthropy. Why do they do it? They do it so that people will think great things about them. They do it so that they can achieve some modicum of fame. But you see, we do goodness, we do good deeds, not so that we are acclaimed, but so that we can be a blessing to others. It's a world of difference. You see, a person who is connected with God your whole character, the reason you do things, the reason you reach out to others, it's all because of the grace of God at work in our lives. And so God calls us to cultivate this particular fruit. An example of this would be George Washington Carver, who was a great Christian gentleman he modeled this. He was born a slave. He bucked tremendous odds. Following the completion of his master's degree, he accepted a, professor, a professorship at the University of Iowa. Not long thereafter, Booker T. Washington asked the young scientist to leave his comfortable post and join him in educating the poor blacks of the South. And Carver did this, years of sacrifice and insult followed, but his work saved the black community from starvation and raised them to a new level of dignity. When questioned about his brilliance, Carver always said, the good Lord gave him everything. He refused to accept money for his discoveries. He rather chose to give them free to anyone who asked for them. Three presidents called Carver a friend. Great industries vied for his service. Thomas Edison offered him a beautiful new laboratory and $100,000 a year, which at that time was like offering someone a million bucks. He turned it all down. 
the critics said, if you had all that money, think of all the good you could do for others. And Carver simply replied, if I had all that money, I might forget my people. The epitaph on his gravestone says simply this, he could have added fame and fortune, but he cared for neither. He found happiness and honor being helpful and good to the world. You see, that goodness that Carver modeled came because of his devotion to God and to his word. The Apostle Paul affirms in Romans 12 and verse 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And when we are clinging to God and his goodness, God uses us in ways that we could never imagine. You have evidences of this in the New Testament. You think of Dorcas. The Bible says of her that she was always doing good. And Barnabas, the Bible says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith. My friend, whatever God has given you, use it to do good for his glory. If you have a warm handshake, use it. If you have the gift of speech, speak. If you have energy, spend it for good. If you have money, give it. If you have time, share it. If you have a generous spirit, minister to the needy. If you love little children, lead them. If you have a heart of love, visit the sick, greet the stranger, and sympathize with those who are troubled and sorrowing. In this second cluster, Paul tells us how our characters are changed and formed, and we develop what does not come easy. We develop patience, we develop kindness, and we develop goodness. Not because it is easy, but because that is God's blueprint for a life that pleases him. These are the character traits that mark the relationships of others. Eric Liddell, whose story is portrayed in the movie Chariots of Fire, was hailed as Scotland's greatest athlete. He was a world-class rugby player. He set the British record in the 100-yard dash that stood for 35 years. And in the 1924 Olympics, he won a bronze medal in the 200 meters and set a world record in the 400 meters after refusing to compete in what many thought was his strongest event, the 100 meters, because the qualifying heats were held on a Sunday and he would not violate the Sabbath. In his book, The Disciplines of the Christian Life, I would encourage you to get a copy of it. This is what Liddell writes. He says, I challenge you, have a great aim. Have a high standard. Make Jesus your ideal. Be like him in your character. Be like him in outlook and attitude toward God and others. Be like him in your home. Thoughtful, patient, loving. Be like him in your work. Honest, reliable, 
always willing to go to the second mile. Be like him in your social life, approachable, unselfish, and considerate. Make him an ideal, not merely to be admired, but also to be followed, unquote. Let's rise up and accept Liddell's challenge. Let's do the hard things for the glory of God and allow our characters to shine for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We have so much growing to do. I know I do. Lord, constantly remind us that the battles of life belong to you. Help us not to succumb to the little battles that get the best of us. But instead, let us stand strong in that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though we will never ever get to the point where we have it all under our belts, may we continue to pursue after that with which you have pursued us. May we love you more. May our joy in you be full every day. May the peace that you give rule our hearts. And may patience, kindness, and goodness be characteristic of our lives and our relationships with each person that crosses our path and will praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you go, there's a very important announcement that we would like to make. And so I'm going to ask Bill Wright if he would come and make a long overdue announcement. I think you're on now. Good morning again. I want to share with you um, something that the Deacon Board has been working on. It has to do with an acquisition. If you think back to the COVID years, during that time frame, East Bay Calvary gained a larger footprint in East Bay Township. A couple in our midst entrusted something to us, which we view as a very part, a very special part of their legacy. These folks radiate God's love. They serve him faithfully, and they've been enormously generous 
to East Bay Calvary. As a church family, it's taken us much too long to acknowledge their contribution. And characteristic of our habits, we seemed to start slow and taper off from there. So some years have slipped by, but that brings us to today. These folks have been a blessing to us, and we are blessed to know them. They're none other than Mary and Bill Pollard. For those that don't know, Mary and Bill gifted the church a tract of land with a 5,000 square foot building on it. Picture is on the screen. It's located right at the, right at the end of our lower driveway right at Four Mile Road. Very convenient spot for us. We use it to house equipment, house vehicles, and to serve as the central spot for maintenance operations. It's right here on site. Time has caused us to wonder many times how did we ever get along without it? In commemoration of their gift, we're officially announcing this morning that the building shall be known as the Mary and Bill Pollard Maintenance Center. The sign you see in the picture isn't there yet, but it's, it will be this coming week. In the meantime, we want to recognize their contribution with the plaque that you see on the screen. I'd ask that you thank the Pollards by joining me in a, a round of appreciation. Thank you. We are so thankful for Bill and Mary, your devotion to Jesus. Mary has taught in our children's department for many, many years, impacted the lives of hundreds of kids, I dare say thousands of kids over the years. And Bill has been so instrumental, not only in helping us to find this particular property on which this building sits, uh, but also in terms of helping us construct it 
this family has made a huge investment. Bill and Mary, we love you. Why don't you take that back to them right now so that they can see it, all right? God bless you, Bill. And I'm so thankful for the deacons that understand how significant this is. It's an expression of our love back to you for the incredible investment that you have made in our lives. Let's stand together, shall we please, for closing prayer. Lord Jesus, what a beautiful morning. Morning to come to worship and adore you, to express our love to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that as we leave here, the, uh, the presence of Jesus will be in us as we enter our mission field, as we depart. Help us to have a, a sense to be on mission, uh, to understand that you've called every single one of us to impact our sphere of involvement. And again, we thank you so much for Bill and Mary. Oh, God bless them. Uh, I pray that you would just uh, continue to give them day-to-day strength. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the perspective and the guidance that we all have received through Bill and through Mary, through their heart for you, their heart and love for people. Bless them immeasurably. Lord, help us to always be a thank you congregation, a life-giving congregation, so that others know that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus reigns supreme at East Bay. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. And Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.